Hey everyone, welcome to another week of Come Follow Me, A Disciple's Journey. This week we will be discussing and covering in Come Follow Me, Helaman chapters 13 through 16. So we're going to be talking about uh, Samuel the Lamanite and his uh, warnings to the people of the Nephites in Zarahemla. And you're going to see this week some shades of, of Nephi and like I mentioned in last week's, one of last week's episodes that chapter 12 is kind of this nice bridge between Nephi and Samuel. And I, I feel like it's, it is that way because Mormon was abridging everything, right? And he had been reading and read about Nephi and read about Samuel and he's compiling this record. And he saw the similarities and saw that, you know, living in the same time period, warning of the same types of things that they really echoed and married each other quite a bit. And so chapter 12 is this great bridge into what we're going to talk about this week uh, with Samuel discussing just the warnings of the Lord to the people. So one of the things I like to do, and that I especially, or not especially, but specifically did this week, is I like to ask myself, uh, why did Mormon include specific parts of the Book of Mormon, right? Why did he include these sections? How does this section that we're reading, and so this week, how does the section about Samuel the Lamanite and his prophecies to the Nephites, how does that, how does it fulfill the three-pronged purpose of the Book of Mormon? So if we go back to the title page, and as a refresher of the purposes of the Book of Mormon, it says that it is to show unto the remnant of the house of Israel what great things the Lord hath done for their fathers. So that's the number one. Number two, that they may know the covenants of the Lord, that they are not cast off forever. And number three, convincing of the Jew and the Gentile that Jesus is the Christ. Obviously, number three, the main the main focus. It's another testament of Jesus Christ. But that's kind of the three purposes of the Book of Mormon, to show the house of Israel that the Lord has done great things for their fathers, to show them the covenants that the Lord has made with the house of Israel, essentially, and proving and convincing that Jesus is the Christ. And so I ask myself, how does the story of Samuel fulfill the purpose of the Book of Mormon? And um, as I asked myself that this week, as I asked myself that question this week, I was able to glean a few more things, not more things, different things, I guess. And as typical, when our, with our studies of the Book of Mormon, they were very personalized for me and, and for my life. Um, and so I invite you to do that this week. And so rather than highlighting this specific area and this specific thing is like, oh, this testifies of Jesus, because you're, you'll see that. I think that if, if you ask those questions consistently of, you know, how does this or that question, it's a single question, how does this fulfill the purpose of the Book of Mormon? Why did slash, I guess it's two questions, slash why did Mormon include this? Um, I think that you'll be able to see, like I have seen in my studies, those great things the Lord has done for their fathers pop out. You'll see the covenants pop out. You'll see Jesus Christ, the Lord, pop out and stand out more because that's what Mormon's focus was, right? It was those three things. And especially one of the things that I find really interesting as I study is the covenants, because I think sometimes it's easy to kind of pigeonhole. And again, I'm speaking from my own personal experience and my own personal viewpoint. 
for me, it's easy to pigeonhole kind of covenants and what a covenant is. But when you think about, okay, what it says, uh, and that they may know the covenants of the Lord, that they are not cast off forever. So what covenants appear that show that the house of Israel is not cast off forever? And in this story, we're going to, Samuel is going to talk about one of the chapters that the Lamanites, that their fathers were wicked, but that they're not cast off. The Lord will be merciful to them. Um, so that's, that's like, that's one that stands out, pops out and and is obvious. But when I ask the question that way, covenants at the, the core of what a covenant is, right? That it is the Lord making a promise to us that if we do something, then this, it's covenants essentially boil down are an if-then type of statement. If we, the Lord's people, the disciples of Christ, his children, if we do X, the Lord will do Y. That's a covenant, okay? And when I repeatedly ask myself to and try to remember to look for those things, they stand out more starkly uh, to me. And so again, I invite you this week to ask yourself, why did Mormon include Samuel the Lamanite's story? How does the story of Samuel the Lamanite fulfill the three-pronged purpose of the Book of Mormon? To show unto the fathers the great things the Lord has done for them, uh, show them and remind them of the covenants, and convince them that Jesus is the Christ. Okay, so I invite you to do that. Uh, when we get into chapter 13, I'll share with you one one of the things that stood out to me this week in part because I uh, had been I had asked that question. Uh, just overview, though, before we get into the specific chapters. Obviously, as we've been saying, we're going to talk about Samuel the Lamanite from chapter 13 through chapter 16 to the end of Helaman. We're finishing out the book of Helaman. And um, it's interesting because just the fact that he's a Lamanite coming over to the Nephites, it's a this doesn't happen, right? It's always it's always been the Nephites. It's always been Ammon and his brothers going to the Lamanites. It's always been reversed here. It's, it, it was, uh, it it's just yeah. I mean, it's a new new concept really here. Um, so that's one thing that makes this a unique story for sure. Um, the other thing you know, as you you hear about the Samuel the Lamanite, and then come follow me this week. The manual. The picture on the first page is the the just iconic Samuel Lamanite picture with him standing up on the wall, his arms outstretched, arrows being um, uh, hurtle, hurtling towards him. And so that's the other thing I think of when you think of Samuel Lamanite, right, is that he can't be hit by arrows. What's interesting to me is that doesn't actually even really happen until the very end. He's, he almost, he pretty much finishes his entire message. And then the and then that the arrows start coming. Um, so as we go throughout this week, and this these chapters, I should say, uh, some things to to kind of look out for is that again, signs are going to take, uh, or signs, miracles, whatever you want to say, kind of take center stage here because. Um, <laughs> a central message to of what Laman or what Samuel says is 
about very specific signs and wonders. And as we jump in, if you were to, if you go look ahead, some people it ends up you know some people believe them, but again, just like we've talked about throughout the Book of Mormon, that signs do not convert people. Signs are there to fortify and strengthen existing faith, not to create new faith, typically. Uh, because if you don't have faith, then you'll be blinded to the, the, mir- the miraculous nature of the sign. Uh, Samuel, I, I, as I mentioned, his his prophecy is, is very specific. It's it's much more specific than a lot of prophecies that we tend to encounter in uh, in scriptures in general, and, and obviously, especially the Book of Mormon. But really, throughout scriptures, there aren't really typically. There are some examples, but you know, Samuel saying things like four hundred years from now and five years from now, like specific timelines, uh, is a is a pretty interesting and unique thing to to him. Um. It actually ends up creating an issue in chapter one of Third Nephi because he gives such a specific time that the people end up thinking, "Oh, okay, it's gone, it's past, so we should just kill all the people who believed, and we're good." We have it. Uh, we dodged a bullet there. There, Samuel was wrong because, and, and that only happens. It only was able to happen because he gave such a specific timeline. Uh, the last kind of high level thing I want to talk about, and, and then we'll get into the, the chapters, is. That and it, this comes from "Come Follow Me," and that is that the Lord gives warnings through His prophets. And I've I noticed a pattern um, from Samuel the Lamanite and from Nephi, the, the Nephi that is uh, living during the time of of Samuel. And I noticed it with them, and so then I started looking for other examples. And there there are plenty of other examples. A pattern that I've noticed is this: that the Lord warns through the prophets, and then the prophets tend to withdraw that message. So in Samuel's case and Nephi's case, they literally like withdrew themselves from the people. Uh, you think about Alma and Amulek, they went and warned the people of Ammonihah. The, they get put in prison, the prison crumbles, but then they leave Ammonihah, they withdraw themselves. They've, they've given their warning message, and now do you accept it or not? Because that's going to determine what happens next, whether or not the warning message is fulfilled and you will be destroyed because you didn't change. Or in the case of Jonah, another example of this pattern, uh, the people of Nineveh, they did repent. And so the destruction didn't follow. But Jonah went into the city, preached repentance, and then withdrew himself. And obviously the famous part of one of the famous parts of, of Jonah's story is that he went up expecting to watch Nineveh get destroyed and then was disappointed. But they weren't destroyed because they had repented. Uh, but there's this pattern of prophetic warning, a withdrawal, and then uh, giving space for the people to, to act. Uh, it makes me think of 2 Nephi chapter 2, where Lehi tells us that all things are given, all things that are expedient are given to us. All the things that we need are necessary are given to us. And then it goes into, that's the verse that then he goes into saying that we are free to choose. So the Lord comes through through the voice of his prophet. He gives us the things that we need that are necessary for us to make a decision. He says, all right, I'm, I'm not going to let you be in ignorance. So here's what you're doing. Here's the consequences of what you're doing. If you continue doing it, then this is what will happen. 
or repent and be saved and then withdraw and see what happens. And as I think about, um, modern day prophets and their warnings, um, I I feel like I can see a similar pattern. So one, one that I want to share with you that I have talked about with my family and a few of my friends and just trying to, uh, flush the thought out is, is pornography. Now, have the prophets and apostles stopped talking about pornography? Absolutely not. It still is brought up and still is mentioned as being an evil and being a stain on society. And, uh, but as I thought about it, and here's kind of the thought that I've been discussing with my family as I think about it. And I remember late nineties, early two thousands, as I start going to priesthood session, it seemed to be a pretty heavy theme. President Hingley talked about pornography quite a bit. Uh, President Packer, um, there was there was a lot of focus on the, the dangers uh, of pornography. All right, and what stands out to me is, about this is that this was the beginning, really, of the digital age. Uh, the internet was obviously a thing and had been a thing for a few years, but it was really just just new, just getting into every home at that, at that point. Right. Um, and now the internet is everywhere and you have, uh, data plans on phones. You don't even have to have Wi-Fi. And I mean, literally the internet can be just about anywhere in your hand, which gives you access to a lot of good things, but obviously also a lot of bad things. Um, and so again, I want to be careful with it with what I'm saying that I don't, I'm not saying that the prophets gave their warning and now they're, they've completely withdrawn about pornography and they're not saying anything because they do. But I, and I get, this may be just my own, uh, recollection of things, but in discussing it with family and with friends, it seems to be that they have the same type of recollection. There's, this was, a, it was a heavy, pornography was a heavy, uh, heavily featured topic for several years. And then it kind of, there has been this withdrawal period. And now here we are 15, 20 years later. Prophet, the God, God knew, Heavenly Father knew where technology was going, how prevalent social media would be, how easy it would be to just to get sucked into things, right? Um, and now we have all this data and all this, all these studies about what pornography does to you're, the way you think, you're, the um, physical nature of your brain, it changes. The, the way that your brain operates, which then obviously impacts the way that you behave and the, thing, and the way that you act with other people. And uh, you get... I've, I've, I've mentioned this in the past and without trying to be like too much of a rah-rah champion or in, in this podcast... Um, but Operation Underground Railroad, who fights uh, human trafficking, especially uh, sex trafficking, they they talk a lot about how the United States is the number one demand for child pornography and uh, pornography in general. We we create this demand that ha- that now has created the fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world, and that is human trafficking. 
With, with no demand, there's no enterprise. The prophets 20 years ago warned of this. They warned of, of what, was, what would be coming, right? Did the world listen? Because I think many members of the church, many, obviously there are those who, who have, have their own vices and things, but many of the members, and I would say most, listened, right, to the prophet. And the, and the members of the church are taught and are still taught, like I've said, to avoid and steer clear, completely clear of pornography. But what's important to remember is that the prophet and the apostles, they're not just the prophet. Gordon B. Hinckley in 2000, he wasn't the prophet of the church. He was the prophet of the world, for the world. Did the world listen? And I think we can answer that question with a resounding no. Look at entertainment. Look around us. It's really easy to say that the answer is no. And look what it created. That there, there was a consequence that lays the, the, that uh, what was happening in the year 2000, what was going to start happening, was going to lay the foundation for a great evil work. So, anyway, I share that story in that perspective because, that, like I said, that was a pattern. That's a pattern that I noticed in studying Nephi and Samuel. This warning, withdraw. You give you give time and a space for uh, people to make their their choices. I think honestly, it's a great. If it's if it comes from the Lord, it's a great tactic and tool that we can apply in our own lives, as especially like as parents, for example, we can teach our children, teach them the consequences of their actions and their and what they're doing, and then give them a space to make their own decision. If they make the choice that we've warned them about, we need to be responsible for making sure that there are the proper um, consequences, and this relates to President Oak's talk in the year 2009, November, called Love and Law, that by by having a law and having consequences, the Lord shows us his love, and as parents, we do the same. But allowing, teaching our children uh, correct principles, teaching them the consequences of right and wrong behavior, and then giving them a space, withdrawing a step, and giving them a space to act is how they will learn. It's how they will grow a testimony of their own. Um, and it's how they will learn to recognize the spirit uh, for themselves. And the Lord does this on a larger scale with people like Samuel the Lamanite, with his prophets today. Samuel goes in to the Nephites and says, here's my warning. They try to kill him. He hops down, runs away, withdraws. And now there's a space between, right? Between uh, the coming of, of Christ and the warning that he's just given. What are you going to choose? And and in that space, that's where that's where our conversion is is made. Is in that space of time, the time given to us to choose. That's when we uh, can be truly converted to the Lord and grow and become more like Him, or go the opposite direction. But it's up to us. The choice is ours. All right. So anyway, that's. Uh, the overview, I guess, of kind of the, some of the things I pulled from this week. Uh, my plan right now is to potentially just do short, quick episodes, quickish, uh, for each chapter. So each chapter will be its own episode uh, this week, 13, 14, 15, and 16. Uh, but I think doing it that way, I will probably have uh, 10 to 15 minute episodes and just focus exclusively on one chapter at a time.
I hope you'll join me this week as we study Come Follow Me. I really, one thing I love, and I just, on a personal note, one of my favorite things about going and seeing how many people are listening to my to the to the podcast is knowing that there's at least that many people that are out there that I'm a part of who are studying Come Follow Me. Come Follow Me has been such a blessing to my my life, my wife's life, our family's life that it makes me really sad when I find out that people who I think were studying and would be studying haven't been studying Come Follow Me. And so on the other hand, when I know that there are people studying Come Follow Me and uh, hearkening to the words of the prophet, it makes me really happy. That that gets me really excited and uh, joyful for your dedication and your discipleship. So thank you. Uh, I hope you'll join me this week as we uh, discuss Samuel the Lamanite. And I'll see you in the next episode as we talk about chapter 13.